and your power, your glory that is here tonight. I thank you that people are being set free tonight. There's healing in the house. I thank you that even as people are going to be listening to this tonight, that the presence of God is soaking in. People are getting set free and healed from things. And Lord, I ask you tonight to make every person good fertile soil within the sound of my voice for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I ask you, Lord, to speak through me your words of life that will go out as living seeds of truth that will be sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Spirit of God. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, burn it into our hearts. And Lord, let everything be accomplished in and through us tonight that your will to be done. We thank you, Lord, for it. And Lord, even as I'm praying tonight, even as I'm going to be preaching, Holy Spirit, just fill this place and brood over your people. There's, even as I preach and I feel like that there's a lot going on. And a lot of times people don't even really realize when you're in this type of atmosphere how much is really going on. That you don't even realize because you're just listening to a word. But you can understand you're in the very atmosphere of heaven. You're in the presence of the Lord. Anything is possible in His presence. There's going to be things happening to you even as the word is being preached. So Holy Spirit, just blanket your people and finish what you've begun. Lord, we thank You for it. Father God, let it be complete by the end of the service that what You've begun is going to be complete and sealed in Jesus' mighty name. Just waiting on the Lord for a moment. I feel like I have a message in tongues. So. Well, the Spirit of the Lord would say that the enemy has tried to snuff out some of your fire. That some of you have been discouraged and the enemy's tried to put a wet blanket on your life and snuff out the fire. He's tried to put out the fire that was burning in your eyes and that God had ignited within you. But the Spirit of the Lord would say that tonight, that that blanket that's been around your life is breaking and falling off to the right and to the left. It's going to fall off you. And there's a fire that's going to ignite fresh in your belly. And it's going to bleed over into your prayer life. It's going to bleed over into your walk with God. It's something that a fire is... It's things that have been within you. It's been within you through the laying on of hands, but it's been stagnant. Are going to burst into flame and start arising, says the Lord. The fire is being stoked within you even right now. Thank you, Lord. It's okay, man. Let, let the Lord touch His people. I'll just get a little extra volume, that's all. Alright. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So when you pastor a revival, you never know. Okay to have fun at church. It's all right. I don't realize how much of a comedian I am. <laughs> no. Holy Spirit, touch people. It's all right. Fresh anointing.
I'm going to go ahead and read this scripture. If you guys have this, just follow along. Alright, Ezekiel 37. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, You alone know. Then He said to me, Prophesy to the bones and say to them, there's a power in the prophetic word. When people, that's like just a moment ago, you know, Lord gave me a message in tongues interpretation. But if you don't vocalize the word of the Lord, if you don't speak it out, it can hinder. But see right here, prophesy to the bones. Ezekiel lifted up his voice and he began to speak the word of the Lord over the bones. And he said, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Now, how would you have liked to have been a spectator out there on some hill somewhere and you're looking down, there's this crazy prophet guy in a valley full of dead people. And you're looking at him, you know, and he's talking to himself, it looks like, because you can't see God, you know, he's talking to himself. And all of a sudden, he starts talking to these dead bones, and here you are watching. This would be a sight to behold, amen? And as the story goes, this would really be a sight to behold. So as he was prophesying to the bones, he said, Bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you, then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was prophesying, there was a noise. Now, let me just stop there. When God spoke to Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, it wasn't like there was some big sign and wonder or something. These were just dead bones. Okay, when he started speaking to the bones, I mean, they were just dead, dry bones. And the point is, is God is going to use you in the area of faith that you start speaking about things before you see anything in the natural. I mean, you realize how stupid that would make anybody feel. You're talking to dead bones. Dead bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, dead bones, you're going to come to life. And God's going to breathe into you. I mean, it just seems so ridiculous in the natural. How many knows that God will speak through you sometimes and it will seem so ridiculous and stupid in the natural? But as he prophesied as the Lord had commanded him, he said, as I was prophesying, there was a noise. Now, if you're in a valley full of dead bones and you start hearing noises, that could be creepy. There was a rattling sound. Bones started coming together, bone to bone. And I look, and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. So he's sitting here watching a supernatural event happen before his eyes. That bones started rattling and moving, and they started coming together, forming these skeletons. And not only did it form the skeletons, like you guys, everybody remembers biology class. Everybody had that skeleton in the corner. Okay, you guys? It started forming all these skeletons. Not only was there skeletons there, but all of a sudden muscle and bone, I mean, the muscle started appearing on the bone tendons, and it started forming flesh. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel's looking at a bunch of dead people. Corpses, cadavers, they're all there. Then the Lord said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. So first he spoke to the bones, but now he's speaking to the wind. He's speaking to the breath of God, the breath of life, the same breath that God breathed into Adam on creation. 
When Adam, it says that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Ezekiel was speaking first to the bones and they formed cadavers. But now Ezekiel is prophesying again and he's speaking to the breath of God. It would be the same breath that blew on the day of Pentecost. The winds of heaven. When the winds of heaven start blowing, it's a breath of life. And Ezekiel first prophesied to the bones. Now he's speaking to the winds, to the breath of heaven. And the Lord says, Son of man, say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Now, it could have just stopped that they stood up on their feet, and that would be one incredible, awesome, miraculous event. But not only did God raise the dead that day, but God turned them into an army. Are you seeing? Okay, it started with bones to cadavers. Then it became living soul, living people. Now it's an army. The army of the Lord. Let me tell you about revival. Dry wood catches fire fast. Many of you know if you've ever had to, you know, burn, if you try to take, you know, fresh wood that's just cut, it just it's a lot of smoke. It takes a long time. But when you take dry wood, I mean, it'll, it'll catch fire quick. Many times God allows things to get to a low point. When you look at the nation of Wales before the Great Awakening, it was at a low point. When you look at our nation right now, it's probably at one of the lowest points it's ever been. Speaking of you know, legalizing homosexual marriages and there's the, the abortion and just all the, the moral standards of the nation, it's at a low point. The lowest it's ever been. And we look at it, and in the natural, it's really easy to look at a bunch of dead bones and say to yourself, how can these bones live? We look at our area, and you look at a place like Rockwall. I bless this place in the name of Jesus. See revival. But I'm going to tell you, when I first got here and looked at it, I said, my Lord, it looked like a valley of dead bones. But I'm going to tell you what, God loves these situations where He can raise the dead. Why did Jesus wait for Lazarus to die? They spoke to Jesus, you know, Lazarus is sick, come quickly. He waited. The Father had Him wait. Why? Because it would have just been another healing. But God wanted to raise the dead. Sometimes it seems like it's at a low point. Impossible. But God is actually waiting for an awesome miracle. Amen. Let me give you a couple quick prophecies over America. I gave you last week, but I'm going to read them again because some people haven't heard these. And then I'm going to give you a few things God's put on my heart tonight. But Dr. Cho prophesied out of South Korea. A lot of people may not know who he is, but but it's a very large church in South Korea. And back in the 60s, he began to pray. And all he had was basically an army tent. And I mean, he was very impoverished and he was just, he became a mighty prayer warrior. But out of prayer of his personal life became a great prayer movement. And he has raised up one of the most powerful praying churches in the world today. 
And they've been praying for America since the Korean War. God really put it on His heart as America came over here. I mean, came, I'm saying, went over to Korea and began to fight that war for the Korean people. He said that God put a love in Him for America. And so he's been praying and he's had his people really interceding for America for years. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of people continually praying. These people purchased a mountain and they, 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 pulled, they cut out of the mountain what they call grottos. And any given time on Prayer Mountain, there's 100,000 people that are praying and fasting continually. It's a powerful prayer movement out of South Korea. And so when I tell you that they've been praying for America, I'm not talking about they stood in a circle saying kumbaya and then said a little prayer. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they prayed and they fasted and they touched God. Out of that prayer movement, as they prayed for America, Dr. Cho came to America and he was preaching and his heart broke and he was grieving. And he said, Lord, is America reserved for judgment and he was crying out because he said to himself, he said, this is really one of the only lights left, you know, because all the other nations just seem to be so secular. But America has been known in the past for being a, a Christian nation in a place of revival where missionaries have gone from America all over the world. And so he was crying out and he was praying. He said, Lord, are you through with America? Is it over? Are they given over? It's, it's judgment time, you know. And God spoke to him and woke him up and said, I have not reserved America for judgment. He said, I'm going to bring revival to America. And this is what God spoke to him. Listen, he, he, the Lord said, pull out a map. He pulled out a map. And, and the Lord told him to point down to Florida. And he put his finger on Pensacola, Florida. And the Lord said, it's going to start there. He said, it's going to burn like a match head. You guys ever lit a match and it's just real intense at first. He said, it's going to burn like a match head in Pensacola. And then he said, it's going to move from Pensacola 50 miles west. And 50 miles west, I mean exactly, is Mobile, Alabama. And that's, that's where the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival is broken out now. So it began with the Pensacola revival from 95 to 2003. Now it's the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival that's going on in Mobile, 50 miles west. He said after that, it would break out in Louisiana. Then it would move up the East Coast, up into the New England area. It would go down across the nation to the Southwest, which I'm assuming is Southern California, but somewhere around there. He wasn't specific. Then he said it would move up the West Coast, up into the Pacific Northwest. And when it got there, he said then all of America would be ablaze in the fires of revival. Amen? It's okay to be happy about that? All right, then Ruth Ward Heflin was taken up in the Spirit. Listen to this. I'm just reading this. She said, One night in Jerusalem, I was carried away in the Spirit, and I saw the last day revival. I saw a large platform. It was the deepest platform I'd ever seen. I stood on very broad platforms, but never one this wide, and, oh, I'm sorry, this deep. On the platform, there was at least 100 hospital stretchers filled with critically ill people, and I knew they were there because of the miracles that were taking place in the meetings. I saw television cameras and reporters from all the major networks, and I knew that they were recording the great revival. I saw America ablaze with God, and I knew that when revival had fully been ignited across America, Dallas, Texas would be the center of it. Amen. Alright, so what I want to talk about tonight is revival. And what I've been trying to get across to people is don't get your eyes too focused on the here and the now, 2012, just right now in your life, what's going on, you know. Don't get too focused on that because I'm telling you the next couple decades in America is going to be phenomenal. 
It may be as far as the world goes, the world may struggle. And it may still have some a little bit further down to go in the economy and just different things. I don't know. But I do know that God loves to work with dead bones. When you look at creation, the Bible says the Spirit of God was brooding over what? Darkness? You see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit loves to take a blank canvas and make something awesome out of it. He loves to wait until it gets down to a low point because then He really gets all the glory. <laughs> That's when He shows His awesome power. Don't get too focused on the here and the now, but think about over the next couple decades about your life and how God is trying to prepare you for the coming awakening that's going to happen in this nation. Because I'm telling you, the next 10, 20, 30 years in America is going to be awesome. If the Lord tears, but it's going to be awesome. How many want to be at ground zero when revival hits? I know I do. We want to be right in the middle of the move of God. What I believe, this is just my opinion, what I believe, you're looking at things like IHOP and there's a lot of other movements with Lou Engle on the call and there's other prayer movements, not just IHOP. There's a lot of prayer movements. But God is moving across our nation with awesome movements of prayer and fasting. And He's been doing it for some time. And right now in Kansas City, this is just one location, but there's 24-7 prayer and fasting. The different calls that Lou Engle has gathered literally hundreds of thousands of people together to pray and fast in different places in the nation over the last, was it decade or two that that's been going on? There's a great preparation. What's been going on at places like Bethel is really just a preparation in my opinion. God's been trying to get people out of a mentality of the way it's been. And get them into a mentality of the way it's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be Book of Acts Christianity? We're supposed to be seeing a move of God on the streets. And Bethel has helped with that. If you notice the movements right now, it went from Pensacola was more souls driven. Even though there was a lot of signs and wonders, it was souls driven. But now you're seeing in the moves of God, you're seeing a lot of healings and miracles. And God is preparing people to operate in the power of God. And I believe before Jesus comes, I really believe this, there's going to be a strong movement in the area of delivering the captives. I believe that. God's going to set people free. So to be in the move of God and for God to use you in an awesome way, let me give you some things tonight to think about. Do you remember when Jesus went to his hometown? It says they were offended at him. Who do you think you are? We know your mom. We know your dad. We know you. who's your brothers. I mean, you think you're some kind of prophet or something? Who are you? The Bible says they were offended at him and they kind of drove him off. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. It's a really interesting scripture because it says this. You can look it up. It's in the book of Mark. It says this in Mark 6, 4. It says Jesus could not do many miracles there. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's a mistranslation because Jesus can do what He wants. 
But it's not. It actually says that in the Greek. It says he could not do many miracles. Why? Because of their lack of faith. God responds to faith. And then Jesus went on to say something really profound. He said, you know, a prophet is not without honor anywhere except within his hometown. Among his relatives and his people, people that know him closely. He's, he's not without honor anywhere else except there. Now, let's take that and look at that for a moment. Among a lot of religious people, you see a lack of faith. Number one, they think things are the way they are. That's the way it's supposed to be. But God is moving beyond their little religious circle and outside of their four walls and way outside their box. And He's been doing that for a long time. The second thing, though, is honoring the man or the woman of God, and that's important. See, people think, well, I'll just acknowledge so-and-so. But did you know Jesus said that unless you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will not receive the prophet's reward? That's what He said. He said, you must receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. That means you have to honor them as a prophet. So if they're an evangelist, you need to honor them as an evangelist, as that. Not just as a righteous man. Well, he's a good man. No, he's an evangelist. Well, let's say about the prophet. Well, I believe he's anointed or whatever. No, if he has the office of a prophet, he's a prophet. But you need to honor the individual for what they are. You see what I'm saying? Because what people are doing is, right now you can Google anybody that's anointed. And you'll see all the slander that the devil has stirred up against people. I don't want to know all the garbage. I don't want to know all the gossip. I don't want to know all the slander. The stabs in the back. Those that, some of them are blaspheming the Spirit of God. They don't even realize they're doing it. But they're, they're just critical. They're false. I don't want to hear all that garbage. All that stuff is straight from the pit of hell. But people that listen to that stuff, they, they, something will set up within them that they are resisting somebody. They'll go to their meeting because a friend drags them, but the whole time there, there's something within them that they'll receive them as a righteous man, but they have a hard time receiving them for really what they are. And because of that, they may feel like that they received from God. Well, I received. I was there. I received from God. But I think sometimes people actually receive far less than what they actually realize they're receiving. <clears throat> Do you hear what I'm saying? Because you can sit through a service and you can think that you really got something out of it, but maybe you didn't get out of it what God really intended. That's why it's so important that we learn to honor other people. You know, when people come to speak here, I do my best to try to honor them. I try to honor them before the church. I'm selective about who I have. But I honor them. And we honor them publicly. But we also honor them by giving them finances to bless them. You know, it's an honorarium. But we honor them as much as we can. And you guys are great about that. When I go places, I try to honor the man and woman of God that's ministering. I don't want to go there with a critical attitude. I don't want to be fault-finding. I don't want to be prideful and think, well, if, if I was them, I would do this, this, and this. Man, you know, don't get all into that. Some people, they go to revival and they think, I am here now to help you out. It's like revival didn't break out with you, buddy. It broke out with them. You know, when you go, humble yourself down. And go there to receive from God and honor the move of God and honor the people of God that are involved. This is good. I'm trying to help you. 
Because God sometimes will come in unlikely packages. Your Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but He opposes the proud. I believe with all my heart. I'll die believing this. I've always believed this. God picks people. Remember, remember the Apostle Paul said He picks the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Listen, God deliberately does this on purpose. He picks people that He knows will offend the prideful. And He uses them. I believe that. Let that sink in. I believe it on my heart. You flip through the television. He has picked some people that are anointing God's hands on Him. He's picked them because He knows it will annoy the prideful. And it takes humility to receive from that. See, the Bible says God opposes the proud. He resists them. I would rather have... You know, Satan gather up all his demons and they all come running at me at one time than have God oppose me. Let me say that again. I would rather have every demon in hell chasing me at one time than have God oppose me. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? But if God's against you, who can be for you? The worst disease that there is is pride. If pride turned Lucifer into Satan, what can it do to you? That's worth repeating. If pride turned Lucifer into Satan, what can it do to you? Let me warn you about that. Pride is dangerous. And pride is why people have missed God over and over and over through the, through the centuries. Did you know there's been major moves of God in times past that people have totally missed the move of God? I would hate to think that I would die and go to my grave and realize God was moving. And the whole time I was so prideful and so arrogant, God had passed me by, He had opposed me, and I totally missed the move of God. Did you know that there was a man that came up to Pastor Kilpatrick? He was telling the story. And the man had come up to him and said, Pastor, he said, listen, I want you to pray for me. He said, he said you, you were the one that pastored the revival of Brownsville in Pensacola, right? And, and Pastor Kilpatrick said, yeah, that's me. He said, listen, he said, I was at this church... He said, the entire time that revival was going on in Pensacola, he said, my pastor was continually running you guys down. He was running down the revival. He was running you down. He was running down the evangelist. He was critical. He was constantly doing it. He said, because of what I was told, he said, I had, I had a wrong attitude toward the revival. He said, I never went. And he said, now, he had tears in his eyes. He was talking to Pastor Kelly, Pastor, with tears coming down his cheeks. He said, I missed the Brownsville revival. He said, would you please pray for me? And Pastor Kilpatrick said, man, he said, when I laid hands on him, he said, I felt it. The power of God hit that guy. But let me tell you, you've got to be careful who you listen to. How many of those Jesus said that if the blind lead the blind, they both go into a ditch? During the great Azusa Street revival, we all know it was God now. I mean, there were so many people having an encounter with God. You should look into the Azusa Street Revival. It was an awesome move of God. And all these people come from all over and they were, they were touched by God. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost and they were sent from the fires of revival all over the world. You know what? All modern missions goes back to the Azusa Street Revival and every full gospel movement goes back to that. William Seymour is one of my spiritual heroes in the faith. But you know, while Azusa Street, the revival, the fires of revival were burning bright, there were some people that were religious leaders that had influence 
G. Campbell Morgan was somebody that had influence. He wrote books. He was a great Bible expositor. But listen to me. You can be a great theologian, a great Bible expositor. You can learn Greek. You can read Hebrew. You can be a great expositor and miss a move of God big time. And G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, that is nothing more. That is Susan Street Revival is nothing more than the last vomit of Satan. That's what he said. That was his exact words. And there were people that listened to him and never went. And I'm going to tell you what he did. He caused millions of people to go to hell. And let me tell you why. Because of the thousands of people he had influence over. If he would have encouraged them to go, they would have went. They would have got baptized in fire. And they would have took revival all over the world and seen thousands of people saved. And all those people that could have and should have been saved weren't because of somebody's influence. Did you know Reinhard Bonnke is a product of the Susan Street Revival? A lot of people don't know that he was actually, um, his grandparents, some missionary, somebody that had been baptized in fire, that had been touched, and at Azusa went over to Germany and were in his village. His grandfather was sick to the point that it was horrible that even sheets touching his body were excruciating pain. And he came into the village and said, is there anybody sick here? They said, well, you need to go to the monkey residence because that man is in bad shape. He goes over there and prays for him. He's supernaturally, instantly, completely healed. The whole family comes to Jesus. Reinhardt's father became a pastor, and now we have Reinhard Bonnke in ministry. But it goes back to, do you see what I'm saying? How many people has he led to the Lord? I mean, like 10, 15, 20 million people? Look it up. But what would have happened? If that man that was touched at Azusa Street and took revival to Germany... What would have happened if he had a blind guide, some Pharisee, tell him that over there to Susan, that's, that's of the devil? He would have never got touched. He would have never ended up in Germany. And none of that would have ever happened. This is good preaching. Be careful who you're following. Some people are blind guides and they don't have a clue. I had some people try to dissuade me. Listen, I, I had gone, you know, I was raised up around the power of God to some degree. I was raised around at least Pentecost. And for the most part, it was okay. I mean, it, it, you know, it had its good and bad. It was somewhat dead at times, somewhat dry. But I'm going to tell you, when revival broke out at Pensacola, I'd heard about it. And I'd heard about what was going on in Rodney Howard Brown's meetings. And I'd heard about what was going on in Benny Hinn meetings. And this was back in the mid-90s. And I had some people try to tell me it's all of the devil. And they did. They tried to dissuade me from going. Tried to discourage me big time. And they tried to give me some literature and different things. And you know what? I thank God. I am so thankful that I did not listen to those blind guides. Because you know what? What happened to me? And I say this with humility. But where would you be today? Some of you. Where would you be? Because some of you have been touched by the move of God. You know? And none of what's gone on over the last couple of years, the people that's been saved in the streets, the stuff that's happened, all of that could have been aborted if I had listened to somebody that had turned me away because I would went to the Pensacola Revival not realizing what I was getting into because, I mean, it was an awesome thing. And I would went there and, and whenever I got prayer, just some altar worker come up to me like they did some of you guys. And pray for me, and I was—I fell so hard, and I was baptized in fire. When I came back, I was different. 
When you're really touched by the power of God, you're different. But to be touched by the power of God, you've got to be hungry. And you've got to be humble. The next thing, I'm going to give you the lesson of, of my doves that I have. Did you, you guys know I have a few pet doves? Yeah. They're cute, man. They really are. I have to show you guys sometime. I would bring them out here, but they're not trained yet. Okay? I'm going to train, I'm going to train them to like lift some little dumbbells or something. I'm, just, I'm kidding. I'm not going to be... Sandy, I joke around with Sandy because if, if we're here by ourselves or whatever, all of the animals just go to her. It's like I call her Dr. Doolittle because all of them just... And I know that if I ever let my doves out, that they'll just fly and land on Sandy. I know it, you know. But anyway, let me give you a few things about my doves. They do. You think I'm kidding? You guys should see it. All of them just gravitate to her. Okay. So, the lesson of the doves. So, whenever I got these doves, I was thinking, you know, the Holy Spirit is described as a dove. And so I thought maybe I could learn something out of this. So I just paid attention to them. I like to watch them. They're cute and all that. And they're goofy. Just like any other animal, they're goofy. And they do funny stuff to watch. But I noticed this about them. If I go toward them in any way and I have like a sudden movement, they, they pull way back. I mean, they just they're, it frightens them. Now, I've been around other birds that just look at you like you're stupid whenever you move real fast, you know. You'll move real fast and they just look at you. But, but the doves will actually fly back and they're, they, they're quick to fly. They're quick to lift. Now, I've learned this about the Holy Spirit. I've learned that you really got to, when the Holy Spirit starts moving in a service, you've really got to slow down and, and just like a sailboat. A sailboat, they have to hoist the sail, but they have to turn that thing to where the wind will catch it and it will start propelling it. But they've got to pull it out and they've got to put it in the direction where the wind's going to hit it. And the same thing when the Spirit of God starts moving in, you've got to move slow. If When the Spirit of God starts moving in, if you're quick to be like, okay, let's go to the next thing now. Well, now it's time to do this. And you're just moving real fast. And the Holy Spirit will just lift right back off. He's quick to fly like that. He's quick to lift. When the Spirit of God starts moving in, you've got to be sensitive to that, and you've got to turn your sails to let that wind catch you and take the service the direction He wants it to go. See, a river will have a current, and it'll, it'll ebb and flow. It'll go left and right, it'll move. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself on the bank somewhere while the river's already flowed downstream. You've got to get in the river and move with the Spirit of God. And some of you that are young in the ministry, you need to learn that. If you start having an attitude like, well, you know, I know what I'm doing. Anytime, okay, let me just go ahead and say, anytime you think, I know what I'm doing, I don't need his help, and that, you have that mentality, I know what I'm doing, I can preach a good sermon, I can sing a good song, you know, I can do this, you get that attitude, man, it's the beginning of the end. Because let me tell you, you need him. You need his anointing. Because people that come up and they want prayer, I've seen it my whole life. People joke around and say, empty hands on empty heads. You ever heard that? I've seen it my whole life where there's no power. And I hate it. And the people are coming down time after time after time looking for the power of God. They need the power of God. They need the power of God to, be, to break something off their life. You know, They need healing. They need ministry. You can't do it. I can't do it. But if you'll move with the Holy Spirit, His anointing can do it every time. You guys want to understand power and authority a little bit? Let me go through this. 
This isn't much longer, really. I don't have a lot, but I really feel like what I'm sharing tonight is going to help you down the road if you'll listen to me. As I'm telling you, some of you guys are probably going to run into, you better hear this, you're probably going to run into some religious Pharisees. And I don't remember the scripture text now. I preached on it, 2 Corinthians something 3, 6 or something like that. I, I don't remember, but it says that the Apostle Paul said that he, he came not with the letter of the law, but with the Spirit, because the letter kills. And they'll come, and they're quoting their little Bible. You know, they got it out, and they're, you know, here they go. They, they got it all, they, they're quoting the Bible at you. But they're coming from a viewpoint of the letter that kills. And they don't even mean to, but they're doing everything they can to kill the move of God. They want it dead. They say, it's not of God, that's of the devil. They say that tongue business, that, that stuff going on there, they fall on the ground. Somebody's laughing. What? Somebody's laughing? They hate that. Somebody's over there, you know, crying and it's all loud. And it's all, what is this about? And they can't stand it. They want to shut down the move of God. And let me tell you something too. God is wanting some leadership that is not going to be wimpy and cowardly. And every time there's a little bit of criticism stir up, we're all just going to shut it down now because brother so-and-so is offended. Who cares if brother so-and-so is offended? We're going to move with God because, listen, next week, the people that get saved on the streets is worth brother so-and-so's bad attitude. One guy said, uh, you know, some lady in the church was a gossip... You know, and they say they have a long tongue. That's the expression. And some lady comes up and says, well, I wanted prayer. Comes up to the pastor and says, I wanted prayer for my tongue. And back then they had those old wooden altars, you know. And the pastor said, there's not an altar in this place long enough to handle that tongue of yours. You know, some people in the church, they're, they're used of the enemy to stir up and go against the move of God. And they don't even mean to, but they're used of the enemy to sow division. Watch out for divisive people. Somebody comes to you, they want to run down your brother or sister in Christ to you, they want to run down the pastor, they want to run down you know whoever, the youth pastor, the worship leader, whatever. Be careful. Because they may not mean to, but they're being used of the devil. And if you align yourself with them, it's the beginning of the end for you. Because as long as you're yoked to that, God can't use you. And God will actually have to remove you. And I've seen it happen. Alright, understand the power of God, understand spiritual authority. They're not the same thing. In the Greek, the word for authority is exousia. You see it in Matthew 10.1, Mark 3.15. Matthew 10.1, Jesus said He gave them authority over sickness and disease. And it talked about, in the scriptures, it talked about the Lord gave them authority over all kinds of evil spirits. Now, the word for power is dunamis, and you see it in Acts 1.8 and Luke 24.49, where in Acts 1.8 Jesus said, um, I'm going to the Father, but He said, wait in Jerusalem till you be clothed with power, till you be empowered. The Spirit of God will come upon you in power to be my witness. So let me try to explain the difference between authority and power, because you need both, but they're different. Authority is like the police officer that has the badge. He's got the authority. But the power is like the 9mm that's going to get the job done. 
See, the authority, you have authority, but you also have the power of the Spirit. These things are available to you. But let me tell you about authority. God does not dump on you all the authority at once. He's going to let you grow up into it. Because a power is hard to abuse because if you try to abuse spiritual power, the Holy Spirit will just lift His hand and be like, I'm not, I'm not moving. I'm not going to empower that. You need to change what you're doing. Because, you know, He'll just lift. So it's not necessarily that you can abuse power too much because the Holy Spirit won't anoint that. But people that get authority can't abuse authority. And so, see, once somebody, once somebody starts graduating to greater levels of authority, then their words of their mouth have greater power to them. They have greater influence. And so, the more you go up in authority, the more that what you bless will be blessed and what you cursed will be cursed. And the Lord's got to make sure that He can trust you with authority that you don't end up hurting people. People that move up in the higher echelons of authority... When they speak and when they pray, things shift. In the spiritual atmosphere, they shift. Principalities and powers acknowledge what's going on. I mean, it's a shift. It's, it's major. People that have moved up in spiritual authority, they, they shift heaven and earth. They really do. They have authority. But the Lord is not just going to drop all that on you right now. He wants to give you a little bit of authority and watch you use it. And He's going to see how you handle it. He wants to see how your mouth is. Are you going to talk about people? Are you going to cause problems? Are you a gossip? Are you somebody that's, that's quick to anger? That you're going to get mad real fast and say something that's going to curse and hurt somebody? He wants to sit back and watch. He'll give you a little bit of authority and see how you handle it. If you graduate, the Bible says if you're faithful with little, He'll make you ruler over much. And so as you're faithful with that, He'll start entrusting you with more and more authority. And a lot of people don't realize that it's actually the authority that they feel a lot of times. Let me give you an example. When I've been around the moves of God, there's been, like in revival, there's been altar workers and they're anointed, powerfully anointed. But a lot of times when the pastor would come down or the evangelist would come down and they would pray with people, there was a greater intensity. Why? Because the increase of authority. It's not really the anointing because the altar workers are anointed too. You see the difference? And they'll see that the pastor is going through and it's like a different level. But it's not really that there's necessarily a greater power, but there's a greater authority. Is this making sense? But the Lord wants us to understand He's wanting us to come up in authority. Authority is connected with faith. And as you go up to higher levels of faith, you know what faith is? It's, it's, it's expecting. You know, a lot of people say, well, I, I believe that God can do it if He wants to. That's not faith. There's people that aren't even saved out there that would say that. You know what faith is? Faith is laying hands on somebody and expecting it to happen. That's faith. So faith and authority go together because as you move in authority, you begin to speak to things like sickness and you speak to it in somebody's life, say they have a tumor, and you speak to that tumor, tumor, I curse you in the name of Jesus. You're going to shrink and die and leave this body. See, you take authority over it and it begins to shrink and die. But as you step out in faith and you take authority, the power of the Holy Spirit... Remember Jesus said, rivers will flow from your belly. The power of the Holy Spirit will flow through you and hit that tumor and make it happen. Does that make sense? 
And as you begin to move up in authority, you begin to move up in faith, all of a sudden, maybe years ago, if a demon manifested, you'd want to scream like a girl and run. Now, you want to stand face to face with it and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And you start taking authority, and here's what happens. The demon manifests, and you say, all right, in Jesus' name, I bind you. You're going to get out of here. And you take authority, and when you do, what? The power of the Holy Spirit will shoot through you and nail that demon, and it'll flee. But you have to take authority. See, when God created Adam, He said, I've given you authority to subdue the earth. Okay, He had authority in the earth. He could stand flat-footed and He could take authority in the heavens over birds and over the sea. He could take authority. That's why when you see Jesus, He's the last Adam. And what? Whenever there was a storm, He was sleeping and they woke Him. He just simply stood there and said, Storm, be quiet. It died. He, could, he was the last Adam. That's the type of authority God had put in Adam. He had authority. But Jesus would speak to the fig tree. Fig tree, be cursed. It would die. He would speak to the sick person. Be healed. They'd be healed. He would speak to the demon. Get out. But see, it was him using his authority... And the power of the Holy Spirit would come in and enforce that authority. But you've got to, first you've got to use your authority first, and then the Holy Spirit will back you up. A lot of people want to sit back, and I've seen this. I've actually had people kind of get irritated with me. Because they, they would have this attitude, well, I'm just going to go pray and get close to Jesus. I'll just go pray. And it sounds real spiritual. I've had people tell me, I'm just going to go pray. And it's like, man, if you don't stand up and take authority, I'm telling you, nothing's going to happen. You gotta, you're sitting there asking the Lord to do something you're supposed to do. Lift up your voice. Take authority. He's giving you authority over that. Rebuke it. Do, you know, and I would try to encourage him. No, I'm just going to press into Jesus. And you know what? Nothing ever happened. I tried to tell him. Some people are asking the Lord to do stuff that you're supposed to do. See, this is another realm of faith and authority. Let's say that you're in need financially. And it's serious. I mean, you got to pay your bills. And you're, you're, Listen, Jesus said, pray and believe you have received it. Amen. So first you pray. Lord, I need, let's just make something up. Okay, Lord, we need $500. We need to pay the bills. We, we pray and ask you for it. You promised in the Word you'd supply my needs. So I know I'm praying your will. So Lord, I pray. I believe I have it now. So how are you going to act now? If you prayed and believed you got it, how are you going to act now? You're going to start talking like there's $500 coming in. God's going to meet my need. It's coming. I'm telling you. I don't know how and I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming. There's money coming in. It's coming. And you start, here's what's happening. As you start using your mouth to speak faith, you're actually speaking authority. You're using your authority. And it's actually faith. Remember what I talked about? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It actually, your mouth, it starts creating a substance. And all of a sudden, money shows up and that's what you need. And some of you have been saved very long and you know how this thing works. You've got testimonies and you know. You've got testimonies because you've seen it. You've seen God heal. You've, you've been sick. You've been healed. You've been, you, you've been in need and God met your needs supernaturally. But you've got to believe because God responds to faith. Faith is connected to authority. Use your authority. So as this great awakening sweeps the nation... We are going to have to be people that can come up to levels of authority and come up to a greater level of power in our lives, working through our lives to be able to be used of God to see the harvest come in, to see the sick heal, 
to see those that need deliverance get delivered. And some of you, it goes back to what I talked about before church, really before this service, I mean, it goes back to the fact that some of you feel limited. You feel like that there's, well, I'm not good enough. I can't measure up. So-and-so's got it all together. They know what they're doing. You know, I don't, I don't know if I could ever do that. That's a lie from the enemy. And you better deal with that because that's the very type of thing that the devil wants to put on people that will press them down and they'll never rise up in faith and authority. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Of course you're a nobody. And let me tell you something. That mentality, this may shock you that I say this, but that whole mentality right there, it's a little bit prideful because it's all about you. It's all about you. I feel this way. Look, Jesus, our eyes need to be on Him and realize, Lord, of course I'm not worthy. Of course I don't deserve to be used to you. I don't even deserve to be saved. Let alone pray for somebody that's sick to be healed. Of course I don't deserve it. But because of the power of the cross, it's going to happen. You need to get your eyes off yourself and all your imperfections to get it on the power of the cross. Don't fall into the traps that many people fall into. Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give the devil a foothold. People don't deal with things. They've got a lust issue and they know it and they're not dealing with it. They've got a pornography issue, they're not dealing with it. Maybe they have an issue with money, materialism. A lot of times people don't even know this stuff is there because it just creeps up. All of a sudden one day they stumble into some money and all of a sudden they find themselves acting in an ungodly way. Because now they got money. And before they didn't. And they start handling it weird and the Holy Spirit starts dealing with it. But listen, let God deal with it in you now. Ask Him about it. Take this as a prayer list and say, Lord, is there issues with money? Is there issues with sexual stuff in my life? Is there things in me that need to be dealt with so that I don't go into a realm of falling into sin later on down the road? Some people, they fall into a temptation to sell out and water down the gospel. Did you know that there's people out there because of their own insecurities or whatever it is because they love money, they love the reputation they have, they love people patting them on the back, whatever it is, I don't know. But they love that more than they should. And when it comes down to it, they're willing to sell out and preach a watered-down message to make everybody happy because they don't want confrontation. They don't want to lose their reputation. They don't want to lose their status in the community. They don't want to lose people in their church. They don't want to lose the money that's in the church. And they know that if they speak up, they may be some of that may happen, but they cower down and they water it down for those people. I don't want to stand on Judgment Day Having been somebody that was a sellout. There's some people right now that, that don't like me. But Sandy will tell you that I sleep good at night. I don't worry about it. I, you know, there, There's people out there that cannot stand me. You know why a lot of them can't stand me? Because I've had to confront something either in their life or my, my message ticked them off. But I'm not going to water it down for them. I'm not going to take the gospel, the power of God, what the Bible says, and say, well, you know, I, I don't want to offend them, and I want everybody to like me. You're either going to have Jesus be your God where you're consumed with, Jesus, what do you think about me? Or you're going to be all caught up with what man thinks about you, but you can't have both. That's why Paul said, if I chose to care about the opinions of man, I could not be a bondservant of Christ. You cannot be a true servant of Christ and be caught up with what people think about you. 
This is good. You better let that die right now. And don't be overly concerned about your reputation. That becomes a big God. I know somebody right now that's not doing good that at one time God used them real powerfully. But I knew in their life years ago their reputation was an idol. I knew it was. I prayed for them. Not only are they not doing good at all, but the people under them on their staff or whatever, they're not even doing good because a lot of them picked up on that same spirit and they made that person's reputation their idol. What's going to happen one day if you do have a reputation? And what if God has to deal with that and kill that in you? Caring about what other people think. Well, I don't want to lose my reputation. How many preachers could have had revival in their church, but revival started breaking out and some people got mad and they were like, what's up with all these weird shenanigans in your church? I don't know about this. And they were so worried about the opinion of man. Well, people in the city will think I'm a weirdo. And they shut down the revival and missed God. Completely missed God. All the souls that could have been saved. All the miracles they could have seen. All the things that could have happened. Never happened. But let God deal with that in you now. Before this awakening sweeps. And before God wants to raise up people to be used. Let Him deal with it now in your life. Because when this move of God comes, I'm going to tell you how it is. When the sword of the Lord starts coming across the land those that have bowed themselves down in humility, the sword will go over them. It will pass over them. The people that have stood there in pride and in their sin, unwilling to change, it will cut them down. And the way you'll see it is, is our ministry goes, it crashes and burns. That's for some people. As some of you stay there. The Holy Spirit won't let me get off that. The Lord is wanting to use some of you within the sound of my voice. You may be watching this on a, on a website. You may be watching this somewhere, YouTube. I don't know. You may be listening to this driving down the road. For those here, those wherever you're at, this is for some people. Let the Lord deal with it now. Let Him deal with it now. Let Him get it out of you now. So that when it comes time for God to raise up people to really use them, He can, he can look across there and go, you know what? Maybe I can't use so-and-so, but I know I can use that person right there. Give me them. Hey, come here. And then he'll use you. I want to be that person. Don't you? Then God says, well, i got to find somebody that I can use. Let me look around here. I want him to be able to look at me and say, well, you know, I could use him. And this whole business of feeling worthless and that, you know, listen. You know, God's had to bring me through things. He's had to bring Sandy through stuff. Everybody, everybody's in leadership. And everybody that's in leadership at other churches, that we've all been through things where God had to get sin out of your life. He had to heal you. He had to deal with you. He had to get the pride out. You know, He's had to get the pride out of everybody. I want to be more humble today than I was yesterday, but I want to be more humble tomorrow than I am today. You know, but it's a process. And God, and God has to deal with you. He's got to get some Judases in your life and teach you how to walk in forgiveness. Oh, that's fun. You know, and then he's got to bring people in your life that's going to help break that rebellious streak. Now, I'm not saying this. I mean, Pastor Steve is awesome, really. I'm, I'm not, but I've seen youth pastors that, man, they they just buck up against authority. You know, and other people, I've seen it in churches. I've seen it, and they want to resist authority. God cannot use a rebellious person. He wants to. He loves you. If you're a rebellious person, he loves you. 
But until you deal with it, he cannot use rebellion. You understand that rebellion is as witchcraft. The Bible says it. And that it is what the devil did. He rebelled. And God's got to get that stuff out. The idols. A lot of times people don't even realize that there's idols there until it comes up down the road. All of a sudden, you remember the king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon? He stood there and he said, look at what I've created. Look at all this. He was lifted up in pride. That was a big idol in his life. And God humbled him. You ought to read the story. He was what, out in the field for like seven years. And he had these weird feathers grow and these big claws. And yeah, God humbled that man. And I don't want God to have to humble me like that. Amen. So, but a lot of times people, all of a sudden, God's doing something and this idol within them starts coming up and they never even realize it was there. If something starts coming up within you that's an idol and it's too important, let me tell you how to handle it. You better fall on your face and say, Jesus, forgive me. Cut it out of me right now. Catherine Coleman used to pray, Lord, reach in and pull out all that stuff by the roots and kill it. And look how God used her. Maybe that's a prayer we all need to pray. But put your focus on God's presence and have pure motives. Let every motive of your heart be pure. Everything you're doing. Why are you going out witnessing on on Friday nights? Why are you going out witnessing? Is it so you can get back and brag to your friends about what happened? Or is it because I love Jesus so much I just want to tell people about Him? Why are you praying for the sick? So you can go around and pat yourself on the back and tell people, Hey, I pray for so-and-so and their leg grew out. Look at me, you know. Is that your motive? Or is your motive just humble saying, Man, I didn't have nothing to do with it. I just prayed Jesus healed them and praise God. People, the kingdom's going forward. Is the motive of your heart winning souls to build your ministry? Would you be okay if you won souls and it built somebody else's ministry? See, your heart should be so pure that I'm just thankful that the kingdom is going forward. Even if it's building somebody else's ministry, praise God that people are getting saved and lives are being changed. That should be the motive. So let me close with this. God is dealing with root issues in His people. Everybody say root issues. See, a lot of people look at the fruit of their life and they see this fruit. They don't like that fruit. It's like, man, there's something there and they hate it. And they go before God and it seems like it's cut off for a time and then it grows right back. Then they go down to the altar and they pray and it's cut off and it grows right back. What God's doing is He's tired of people hacking at the branches And he's going to start laying the axe to the root in your life. So let me give you some quick root issues to deal with. Did you know that in Romans 10, 9 through 10, where it says that if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Did you know that that word saved and all through the New Testament, the word saved is the Greek word sozo. Everybody say sozo. Yeah. All right, to remember that, I named my outdoor cap Sozo for that reason, okay? That's, that's why you hear some of the comments. Okay, I'm not talking about my cat right now, folks. All right. All right. So anyway, Sozo means, listen, Sozo means this in the Greek. It means to be healed, delivered, made whole, protected, preserved, made to do well. Now, think about all those words, healed, delivered, made whole doing well, prospering. It means all of those things. You should look it up. You should break out the Strong's and look up that word and see what I'm talking about. Because in that word, sozo in the Greek, is everything that Jesus paid for you on the cross is wrapped up in that word. So the pattern is, 
to be sozoed in life, the pattern is to believe with your heart and speak it with your mouth. Okay, we've already talked about that, but let me say this. The word sozo, God is wanting to bring His people into a place of a sozoed life where you're doing well. That's why 3 John 2, the Apostle John said, Look, I pray that your soul prosper and you be in health as your soul prospers. That's prosperity. God is wanting His people to be doing okay. He, he took straps on His back for your healing. He died impoverished so that you could be taken care of. I mean, he, he wants you to be doing well. There's going to be seasons we all go through where we go through testings and trials. I'm not taken away from that. But overall, God is wanting us to be doing well in life. To move into the sozo life, though, let me give you some things that hinder people from the fullness of what Jesus paid for them on the cross. The first one is unforgiveness. Now, I'm dealing with root issues. Everybody say root issues. I'm not cutting it fruit right now. I'm not cutting a branch. I'm dealing with root issues. The branch may be sickness. I'm, not de- I'm dealing with the root issue. Why is that there? Why is there an anger problem? Why do they keep losing their temper? Why is their marriage on the brink of divorce? You know, you're dealing with the fruit and the branch there, but you've got to get down to the root and say, why is it there in the first place? One of the reasons is unforgiveness in people's lives. If you'll really let it go, God will heal you and set you free. Whatever attached itself to your life like a leech, a spiritual leech, when somebody gets in unforgiveness, I'm telling you, things attach itself. But whatever attached itself, if you'll forgive, it'll lift. I'm going to tell you, there was a person I saw on the 700 Club that was giving a testimony about having breast cancer. And they were praying. They were like, Lord, what in the world? And God spoke to them in church and said, you have unforgiveness towards so-and-so. And they didn't even realize they did. And they said, but you know what? After the Lord showed me, He said, I did. And she prayed about it. She said, Lord, I forgive them and I mean it. I let it go. I forgive them. And you know that, that thing just to completely disappeared out of her body? A lot of the reasons why people don't have answered prayers is because of unforgiveness. They're praying about things, but it's not moving because of unforgiveness. Alright, the second root issue, I'm going to get a little deep, is that okay? We're going some deep waters together, is iniquity. Sin means you miss the mark. Picture a bow and arrow, you shoot the arrow, you miss the mark. Okay? Everybody misses the mark sometimes. You try to live righteous, but you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off. And you remember the guy said you should just do spirit fingers? Yeah, you didn't do spirit fingers. You just yell and use anger. Everybody at times will miss the mark. They had a bad day, they're at work, and they're mean to somebody. You know, and they miss the mark, and they got to go pray and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Forgive me, I sinned. And then they need to make things right with the person, apologize. But nobody's perfect, and people miss the mark here and there. That's sin. We need to make sure that we're doing our best to not live in sin, but it's still there. Now, the second thing, though, is transgression, and that's much more sinister because transgression means rebellion and that's premeditated and that's where somebody knows it's wrong to commit adultery but here they are married and they're, they're lusting after somebody else and even though they know it's wrong they still make a decision to go do that that's not just a sin, that's a transgression it's rebelling against God and it's premeditated it's different how many knows the Bible says Eve sinned but Adam transgressed. Eve was deceived, but Adam knew what he was doing. There's two different things. Iniquity is different. This is in the Hebrew. Look it up. 
the, this word sin, look up the word transgression means rebellion, and look up the word iniquity. Iniquity means bent or crooked. Now this is altogether different because people have, sometimes people have something within them that is like a drive toward a sinful behavior. They had a grandmother, maybe that was a witch, and they find themselves that they have just something within them that is trying to pull them and draw them into the occult. Maybe their father was an abusive alcoholic and there's something within them that's trying to drive them into alcoholism. Their family, there's a lot of sexual sin and now there's something within them trying to drive them into sexual sin, sexual perversion. It's iniquity drives, it's something within people. So the promise of God, 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus bore in His body our sin that we can die to sin and live righteous. So you have a promise to overcome sin. And I certainly don't mean to make light of sin. Even though everybody has their battles, sin is deadly. The wages of sin is death. It's serious. But Jesus paid to where we can not only be forgiven, but we can start coming up over and conquering that. Okay? It says He was pierced for our transgressions. To be pierced is to bleed on the outside of your body. It's cut you open. He was pierced for your rebellion, your transgressions. Areas where you knew something was wrong, but you still did it anyway. But the Bible says He was bruised for your iniquity. A bruise is where you're hit and you bleed on the inside. He bled on the inside to deal with that iniquity that's in you. And whatever in me too, that iniquity to get that stuff out. Those drives that's trying to drive people into sin. There's something within them. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It may not be everybody that has iniquity drives, but some people do. Because of their past or because of they inherited it, that stuff goes down bloodlines, that iniquity stuff. A generational curse, that type of thing. Maybe they inherited it and they find themselves, it's like something within them is just driving them. But Jesus wants to set you free. He paid for your freedom. And that iniquity can come out of you. So I said all of that to say God is dealing with root issues and He's dealing with iniquity because it's a root issue. Iniquity is something that keeps people in bondage, but the Lord wants to break that. How do you get free from this stuff? You do it by faith. Faith does not respond to feelings, meaning that I forgive the person, I'm still hurt. But I know I forgive them by faith. I do. I forgive them. You see what I'm saying? It's faith. And God responds to faith. And when you forgive by faith and it's real, you're like, Lord, I'm still hurt. I may still be angry. And I may not still want to go hang out with the person right now. But by faith, I forgive them. It's faith. How do you conquer iniquity? You pray about it and you believe. You believe. You take it before the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't know it till the pastor preached on it, but there's something there. Maybe there's, maybe there's a sexual drive that's not of God. Maybe there's something there that's a drive, and you saw it in your life. You saw it in your sinful past. There's just something there that, that you had a tendency toward that. And you pray about it. You say, Lord, I know that that's there. Maybe it was in my family. I know that it's probably a generational iniquity, a generational curse. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that and take it out of me. And the Bible says you were bruised for my iniquity and I believe I receive it now. And then you start speaking. I used to have iniquity in my life, but now it's gone because Jesus set me free from it. I am free from it. He paid for it on the cross and you keep speaking that and your faith will pull it right out of you. 
But God responds to faith. And let me tell you something else real fast about, it's not in my notes, but you guys may want to write this down. But in Bible symbolism for sexual purity, in the book of Proverbs especially, it describes men in the Bible in a sexual way. It describes them as fountains. It describes a wife as being a well. So like a well of refreshing for her husband. It describes a, a young unmarried virgin as being an untapped cistern. This is biblical symbolism. But it also describes sexual impurity. People that are sleeping around. It describes that as a ditch. You guys ever seen water in a ditch? It's polluted. See, some people have defilement. They've defiled their temple. They've polluted their temple because of things like sexual impurity. And they, they're dealing, maybe they have a health issue, they have other issues and they don't know why, and they keep praying about it, trying to cut off the branch, and they may get healed at a service and then it seems to start coming back. But there could be that there's, there's an, a pollution there. And it's not limited to just the fact that it may be your sin because there's people that are raped, there's people that are molested, there's children that are molested, and it's not their fault. God's not upset with them or anything like that, but nonetheless, they were polluted by it. They were defiled. And things try to attach itself to that pollution. This is a root issue in some people's lives. They have, their temple has been defiled and it needs to get washed. Maybe they defiled their temple with things that, that bring bondage, like drugs and different things. They've defiled, they polluted their temple. These are root issues. Because you can get saved and love the Lord and be worshiping in here and all that, but when you get home, you, you know that there's something still. And I'm just going to give you three tonight, but just really be honest with you and God. Is there unforgiveness? Is it possible? Is there an area where there's iniquity? There's something still driving you. Or is it possible that there could still be pollution? Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. I'm going to tell you about how do you conquer pollution? Your body, your temple's been defiled. You've been polluted. If I were you, I would take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to, but, but take the Lord's Supper and be like, Lord, you paid for me to be made holy. And I'm asking you to wash this out of me by the blood of Jesus. So let me become as holy as a saved sinner can be right now. And you believe that you have received it. And you'll be washed. God will make you clean. It's by faith. God responds to faith. Then you start speaking different. You know, my temple used to be polluted, but now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm made holy by the body and blood of the Lord. You start talking that way. Your faith within you and what you say has a lot of power. And this is why I close with, we'll pray. Acts 3.21, it says that Jesus, He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. As He's promised long ago through the Holy Prophets. Did you know that Jesus is waiting in heaven for God to restore everything? You ought to stop sometime and really meditate on what that means. Ask the Lord for revelation. But I'm just going to touch on it, but I believe this. Before Jesus comes, I believe this on my heart, we're going to see a radical change in the church world and things are going to move back to 
biblical Christianity. But let me give you a warning with that. The Antichrist is going to arise. We're in the last days. I don't believe it's that far off. But there's going to be, it's already here, there is going to be a hybrid form of Christianity that's not true Christianity. Okay, It's a counterfeit. It's a hybrid thing. It's a counterfeit. But it's emerging even now. It's emerging. And these people are totally okay with you, you know, somebody calling themselves a Christian living in total unrepentant sin. They're fine with it. They're fine with somebody that's a practicing homosexual that professes to be a Christian. They're fine with somebody that, that is a, a witch and they're practicing witchcraft or spellcasting, whatever, and they call themselves a Christian. They're fine with that too. It's a hybrid form of a counterfeit Christianity. Hear me. That the world will accept. It's already there. That is the fruit of the seeker-friendly movement. It's already there. And what's happened is, is that the Antichrist, Revelation 17, is going to unite the religions of the world. And one of those will be this hybrid form of Christianity. And the world will accept that as being true Christianity and will look at true Christians as being a bunch of haters and persecute them. It's already happening. As I'm speaking, see, I used to preach this way a long time ago and it seemed kind of nutty back then. But now, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you're seeing it with your eyes. See, what happened to repentance? You know, true biblical Christianity, but even when I was growing up, what happened to repentance? What happened to people going down to an altar and really getting right? And they, they were real. I mean, when they were born again, it was real. It wasn't some little flippant thing that they had their little latte and they were jamming out to their, their rock concert, you know, and they were like, yeah, and then they said some little prayer and they go out hanging out with their friends, getting drunk just like before, sleeping around just like before, being a thief just like before, being a liar just like before, being a total heathen, but sitting there, I, I'm a Christian. That's not the way it works. Do y'all? Is it okay that somebody still preach the truth? Yeah. That is not the way it works. But God's going to bring it back to true biblical Christianity. It's going to be the pure gospel. And it's going to be accompanied with signs and wonders. Just like it was in the book of Acts. Jerusalem will once again have an apostolic base. I believe that. I believe that once again, Israel and Jerusalem is going to have some Christian apostles and prophets that are very powerful just like you read about in the book of Acts and they're going to have influence I believe that I believe that the Jewish roots of Christianity will be embraced in a good healthy way and cultural deceptions will be renounced see cultural deceptions are for example in, Hindu, in, in India where Hinduism is they have like what a million gods you know and they worship a million gods so whenever you bring Christianity like, oh, yeah, why not? I'll just take the cross and set it beside, you know, Shiva and Buddha and this one and this one, and we'll all just pray together. And it's not the way it works. But see, that's a cultural deception in India. In Africa, it's more witchcraft-based. In the Middle East, it's more Islam-based. In Europe, it's more secular humanism-based. 
In America, it's more of this self-seeking humanism, what can I get out of it type base. That's the God. Greed. But true, the true Jewish roots are going to be embraced and cultural deceptions renounced. Does that make sense? It's going to get back to what the Bible says. Spiritual power and authority will once again be embraced. People are going to quit tolerating the false. And people are going to start looking at if you're really of God and what you're really preachings of God and if it really is, then it's going to be biblical and it's going to be accompanied with signs that follow. That's what people are going to look for. People are, people are tired of this empty rhetoric. I'm tired of seeing people that can whip up a crowd into a frenzy and everybody leaves the same. Some people are really good preachers, but there's no real substance. I mean, you, you leave out and you're, you're the same as you came. You don't feel fed spiritually. You don't feel refreshed. You know, you go there one way and leave, you know, sick. You went sick, left sick, and it's just like, what's going on? But once again, the supernatural power of God will be embraced. People will begin to destroy the works of Satan. God's going to get rid of politics. He's going to get rid of the money changers. And He's going to, he's going to make the body of Christ once again become a family. Did you know for years, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong because of the way things are right now. When you church plant, you, you start out, whether in a hotel or whatever, in a house. or Everybody does that. You start somewhere. I'm not, but listen, the book of Acts, did you know that they meant house to house? And did you know that was common? And it was, you know what, it was a family. I mean, the body of Christ was a family. It became more institutionalized a long time later, if you'll study it out under Constantine. Because under his administration, okay, he legalized Christianity. Because before him, all the Roman emperors hated Christians and wanted to have them all killed. Constantine comes along, he marries church and state, he says it's okay now... Because of that, everybody started buying these big elaborate buildings all coming together. But there was nothing necessarily wrong with the buildings. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is it became more of an institution than it did a family. And that's obvious. It became more of a religious ritual than it did letting God move. I believe that you can have all of the, the buildings and all that and still it can be a family but you got to pray about that and let it be that. I don't want it to just be something where the same feeling you get when you walk onto a college campus as a student and you sit down in the chair and you're there. I don't want that same feeling at a church. It shouldn't be like that. It should be like I'm coming in among my family. People I know love me. If I'm going through something, they're there. That's the way it should be. And there's going to be supernatural harvests and great revival. Supernatural harvest. Did you know not everybody can just get saved anytime they want to? I don't know if you ever got, anybody's ever told you that. But the Bible said that nobody can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw them. Unless the Holy Spirit grants somebody repentance and is drawing them, they can't truly be born again. And did you know that whenever Peter got up on the day of Pentecost, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and he began to speak the gospel. It said that people that heard him were cut to the heart. Why? Because of the anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit.
causes supernatural harvest to come in. People are trying to do it without the Holy Spirit, without the anointing, and it's not fruitful. It's really not bearing fruit. In fact, I would say a lot of times it's producing false converts. I'm concerned because some people, it's not, you can't find it one place in the Bible, but you see a lot of people go on the streets and they just basically try to pressure somebody into, just say this prayer with me, man. You know, and they try to pressure them. And the person will just say the prayer to get them off their back. And then they have the nerve to tell them, well, you're going to go to heaven now. And then somebody comes behind him and wants to witness to him, I've already done that. Okay. It's producing false converts. Listen, if somebody's real, then the Spirit of God will change them. They're born again. They're a new creature. It's different. But once again, Jesus is going to come out to churches that are praying. They're fasting. They're going after God. And He's going to walk out there. And here they've been fishing all night and they've only been catching a few fish. And Jesus is going to say, hey, why don't you cast a net on the other side? And they're going to look at Jesus like, are you crazy? We've been fishing all night. You want me to take the net and go ten feet over here and throw it in? And Jesus is going to go, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. Just do it. And then they're going to throw the net in and there's going to be a huge harvest come in. It's going to be supernatural harvests. Did you catch that? Supernatural. And great revival. I'm going to close this out. If something tonight you need prayer about that, you know, something I talked about that stuck out to you and you want prayer about it, I'm here. I'm going to pray right now for you. But listen, we're, we're going to have a fundraiser afterwards, so please stay. Even if you don't have any money, just stay with us and hang out. We want to get to know you. But Lord, I pray right now. You know every heart. I believe with, with all my heart that people here are very sincere and genuine about their faith and they want to please you I believe that and Lord I pray that by your spirit that you would bring up issues to their mind that they need to deal with it could be unforgiveness it could be iniquity it could be a generational thing that, like a generational curse they need to pray about and get broken it could be that they've been defiled and it's affected them in the future they once, you know, they got saved and it followed them into their, their future beyond that, that conversion experience. It's a pollution or something. And Lord, there may still be something there that's lingering. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring it to their mind and show them and help them deal with it. So on everybody that wants that, but I just prayed, if you want that, I want you to say this out loud. But don't pray unless you mean it. Would you say this, Jesus? Let your Holy Spirit show me what needs to change. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to change me. Get it out of me. Let your fire burn it out. Purify me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to shut down recordings and I'm just going to be available for prayer. But I bless every one of you in Jesus' name that any weakness is becoming a strength. There's no limitations in your life from this day forward. 
I bless you and I speak over you in Jesus' name. There's no limitations. There's no ungodly labels. But you're going to begin to arise into your full potential and be everything that Jesus has called you to be. And that you're going to be bold. It's like the Bible says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. I bless you that you're going to be confident, secure, and bold in the Holy Ghost. And I thank you, Lord, for sealing this now. Everybody would just stand. If you feel like you want prayer about anything tonight, the good thing is the food is coming to you. Zach, if you just make sure recordings are shut.